My name is Anna Carter Florence, Associate Minister at the Church, moderator of today's forum, and our guest is Atala Shabazz, producer, writer, director, and eldest daughter of Dr. Betty Shabazz and the late Malcolm X. Ms. Shabazz will speak to us today about her father, as she has done with audiences around the country, particularly with many young people. And the title she has chosen for today's forum is Malcolm X, The Man, The Purpose, The Destiny. Ms. Shabazz, we are honored to have you with us, and we look forward to what you have to say to us. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We'll try that one more time in harmony. Good afternoon. Thank you, Sopranos. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been trying to get to Minneapolis for a while. I'm glad the weather was permitting um, and that you all didn't ask me to come during Black History Month. <laughs> when the weather is horrible everywhere. Um, we've been on the road quite a bit in the last couple of weeks and as a result of the promotion and the interest in the movie that some of you all have heard has been coming up and I'd like to open because of the statement that you may have heard in reference to requesting that people not go to school or work, have any of you all, has that news gotten to Minneapolis? The request? I would rather request that when you young people go to school on that day that you do your best day's work, that you do not take off a day of school, that if my father were alive, he would not ask that of you in a day when the high school dropout rate is as, as it is, that you go in there and have a dedication, a focus, and make a tribute to yourself to get an A. For for the many people who are not fortunate enough to have a job, who cannot feed their families, hence the few others that have a job indeed in order to do just that, take care of their families, do your best day's work. You can see the movie on Saturday. All right? We have to watch how information is given to us and under which guise. You have to read between the lines and know what is really being said to us. Y'all busy up there? All right. Very often I'm called or referred to as a lecturist. I call myself a conversationalist, hoping that it opens up room for informality and comfort, hence making me less nervous and in the short amount of time we get to share with one another that we can feel like somewhat of a family, if for that long, but lasting in terms of um, feeling emotions and memory. I'd like to ask a couple of questions <coughs> of you all. And by a show of hands, if you can respond. How many of you like yourselves? Okay. How many of you love yourselves? No, not how many think you're cute. Okay. okay, cute people, hands down. All right. How many of you know yourself? Few hands went up. 
I want to know why all of you that like and love yourselves think you know yourself. What is it that you like and love so much? Your smile, your savvy walk and talk, your wit or your style? What could it be? Ask yourselves that. You don't have to tell on yourself and tell me. How many here think that they will make a constructive contribution to the 21st century? Small, but something. Hope it's none of your people that know yourselves. The 21st century is in seven years, you know. That when I was your age, we could really dream and imagine and attempt to slow our pace. When I was in elementary school, they had not even been to the moon yet. And when we talked about the 21st century, it was so far away. And you could add anything into that fantasy. They had, the closest we had gotten to the moon when I was in elementary school was the Jetsons. Do they still have that on television? We didn't know anything about orbit, except through them. But now here you are, right in front of it, you will be somebody's parent, teacher, inspirer, and you have to get ready. Again, it doesn't have to be at a podium. You don't have to make a lot of noise in the street. But indeed, as a friend, you might have to assist somebody else and you have to be equipped. My father said the greatest tool of the oppressor was the minds of the oppressed. If you don't have a sense of root or yourself, you are easy to manipulate. Not just governmentally, not in terms of local politics or legislation, but even peer pressure, so succumbing or surrendering to the manipulations that go on around you just so that somebody else who feels weaker than you can pass you. Am I clear? Yes? Okay, my mother was a professor, a teacher all my life, and she would always conclude her statements with, do you follow me? Am I clear? And we never understood it. We didn't like it. Because <laughs> you had to always have a right answer or something. You couldn't shrug your shoulders in my day. You couldn't say, mm, uh -huh, mm. You had to have an answer. Am I clear? All right, I want to hear it singing over here when I say that. I'm often referred to <coughs> as a daughter of the revolution. And I accept that. Back in the days when the revolution in the 60s was talked about, it was a frightening terminology. My father indeed was called a revolutionary, made a lot of people uncomfortable. But the word revolution seems, simply means change. And we have to realize that we are entitled to stand up and make a wave for change. That we should not be afraid of the tags or the titles or the categories that people put you in. Sometimes it's done to separate you, to divide people. A revolutionary. When my father was in his reign alive, as did his father before him, they represented social change as a result of the fact that there were so many ills going on in society. So much as goes on now. So I hope that we are children of the revolution, siblings of the revolution, daughters and sons of a revolution, and in your own way, you can make a change. If you're a student in school, being on the honor roll for a change, be a revolutionary. Saying thank you to your parents for a change, make a change. Be a revolutionary. 
joining the PTA to be involved in the development of your youngsters, standing at a podium perhaps, write a letter to your congressman or to General Mills, thanking them for whatever they've contributed. We have to nurture that so that when legislation doesn't do it, you don't drop the ball. It's your responsibility. Am I clear? Thank you, young man. It's easy to manipulate people who have no sense of themselves. And here in the United States, we often surrender that. How many people two or three generations ago have a grandparent with an accent? Show of hands. Do you speak the tongue that your grandparents spoke? Do you know the origins of their last names? You're nodding. Raise your hands. Perpetuate it, maintain it. I cannot request that you respect me as a black American if I'm not going to understand or respect you as something else. So that goes for all people in this society. While people try to divide and separate us and define our enemies and our friends, it dissimulates us as a power, as a heartbeat, as a pulse, as a rhythm. When somebody throws something different in there, it diffuses you. And then they can continue to push the buttons, whomever they are. You have to learn to respect other people so that when you request to be respected, they understand it by example, if nothing else. <clears throat> How many people here feel they know who Malcolm Shabazz is? I'm not going to bite. It's not a quiz. Sir, did you raise your hand? Anybody else? Not at all? Ma'am, sir? I can't hear. So stand up, because I can't see who's talking. Thank you. Anyone else have a comment? In the balcony? Yes? Would you like to state what you think you feel or know about Malcolm Shabazz? You read the autobiography? I'd like to request that as we learn about anybody in public life, as you read anything, see it on the news, that you automatically assume there's another side. Okay? Whomever it is, whatever we're learning about, even the candidates you read about right now, that you realize that there's something else on another page because we are, as human beings, complete with 360 degrees. Anytime something is shared with you, it's only a snippet of that person. And we are making full 100% determinations and judgments on someone you really don't know. I am a child who watched that happen. When I was growing up and heard people's perceptions of my father, I said, who could they be talking about? It's not the man I knew. A hate teacher? A promoter of divide? I didn't know anything about that growing up. I didn't know that there was a specific enemy or person or people not to like. I was simply taught by my parents a sense of self, heritage, parentage, lineage. Simply that, not in comparison to another, but fully and completely as much as I could understand growing up about from what I come. And in having a joy and a pride about, about myself and recognizing that there were people in the world 
like me, different from me. I didn't know that there was a, a better or worse than, a superior or an inferior. Am I clear? So that as we listen to Malcolm Shabazz, as you read texts or film footage, ask yourself, is it Malcolm per Malcolm that you are listening to, or Malcolm per the organization for which he represented? Prior to 1963, my father was a national spokesperson for an organization called the Nation of Islam. There was nothing that he was permitted to say to you publicly without counsel of the Nation of Islam. So that when you heard his public commentaries, it was per the teachings. And if you listen to the whole film footage, he will say, as taught by, as we learned in, as I have been counseled. Now, after 1963, the fall of 1963, November, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, my father was asked what he thought about the death. He answered, not as a spokesperson, but as a civilian, which got him in trouble. He responded that he thought it was a case of the chickens coming home to roost. It wasn't just his commentary that disturbed the organization for which he represented, but it was that he had one at all. So that we have to watch that when we represent something, that you don't lose yourself amidst the representation for somebody else. Am I clear? As he was silenced to 90 days without any public commentaries or the right to, as a civilian or otherwise, he chose on the other end of those 90 days to not regain or rejoin his membership or participation in the organization, the Nation of Islam and started his quest and learnings abroad, which introduced him to a world that was not in his existence here in the United States and frayed all of the teachings that he had expound and taught others some seven years. And what it did was it reintroduced Malcolm Shabazz, my father, internationally to what his first decade of his life represented. People think my father was born at 15 in the streets of Roxbury, down with the struggle, pimping and hooking and carrying on. I know you heard that. Selling drugs. Don't you wonder who he was for the first decade? I mean, what was he like at four? What was in his life at seven, at 10, at 12? What would have someone in the streets? What puts you there? What makes you surrender yourself and opt for one thing over another? The first decade of my father's life he was raised by, indeed, his parents, who were part of the Marcus Garvey movement, the Universal Negro Improvement Association. My grandfather was the president, and my grandmother translated four of the languages and transcribed them for the text, its newspaper. Motivation, stimulation on a global scale. That's who Malcolm Shabazz was in the first part of his life. When my grandfather was killed by the Ku Klux Klan and my grandmother taken from her children, they were then dispersed in foster homes throughout Michigan. Those that were old enough to take care of themselves attempted to do so, and those that were younger, of course, did not. There was now a divide without explanation. Continuity broken. It's important as you raise your families now that you maintain some kind of rhythm. And when the rhythm breaks, you add or offer some kind of explanation. By the time my father was 14, 15, he wound up in uh, Boston. He started out with a real attempt for jobs, shoe shine, paper route, but it wasn't moving fast enough. So from 15 to 19 years old, my father was indeed on the streets, hustling, making a living, surviving, 
not unlike many urban youngsters today. So it's not a new thing. Unfortunately, it's an old thing. And there's something that has not been done. If we can talk about it then, and it exists now. At 19, my father was arrested and had to do time, was sentenced to 16 years, and was, after seven years upon good behavior, teaching himself and starting anew, was released. Hence the beginning of the public Malcolm Shabazz that you know. People think I grew up in an angry house, black house, ate black food, watched black TV, which did not exist. <laughs> so that as people talk about images and how far we have not come, I want you to know I'm living proof that the black, only black children I got to see were those of the Little Rascals and Shirley Temple's playmates growing up in the 50s and 60s. So that in abundance, there's a lot that has taken place. When people talk about and function like victims, that we have gotten nowhere, how dare you? Because there are people who lived and died so that you could move an inch further. And you've got to rec recognize and compliment and be grateful for the inch. It is your responsibility to take it another inch. People thought that my learning or studying of myself, just simply being my father's daughter, would give me a chip on my shoulder, get me ready. Think, how many of you all came thinking I'd have an attitude? <laughs> Why should I care what somebody else thinks if they're not thinking the best for me? When you have an attitude, a function with an attitude, I can control you. Because I know what buttons to push. I know what will upset you to throw you off. Think about it within your families. Your brothers and sisters, you know what button to push. You know who to tattle on or which parent to go to for the yes and no. Am I right? Yes. Somebody talk about how tall you are. Too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny. They must have a problem they're gonna bring it up. Somebody start talking about your mother, get your real man. And then you stop and realize they don't even know your mother. <laughs> Just gonna upset you. And you gave in, surrendered everything, all of your emotions, and while you're there trying to pick yourself up, they're on the other side of the line. Watch it. Happens all the time. Somebody will put something in the news, talk about that your neighborhood has been threatened. And before you investigate it, or see what is really happening, you're ready to I was going to use a colloquial. You're ready to uh, tear down, knock somebody else's thing apart, and you don't really know anything about that person. Am I understanding? Turning around, it's my Caribbean region. I should have said, do you understand me? In my household, it was a very romantic, frolicky household. One that in reflection is wonderful for me as an adult, but as a kid, I thought my parents were much too mushy and that when I grow up, I'm going to have to take care of them. But what I realize is that, as I recall, they were young parents. Vulnerability was displayed. The ache, the joy, the laughter, the cry, the balance of development, I was privy to. So that when the world thought that it was just this hard-edged household, I could not understand from what they got that image. 
So I know it's a cut and paste. I am a person who has watched someone change the image of another, the perceptions of another, and control your mindsets as a result of teaching you so. My mother ran our household. My father was amongst us, one of the buddy old pal um, kind of parents, you know, a partner in crime. And when my mother would come in with a request, such as, Malcolm, get the children ready so we can get ready for dinner. And she'd go on and explain the left and the right of it, and he'd insert, all right, brown sugar. <laughs> and in the middle of her dissertation, she'd... <laughs> <laughs> and she'd try to find her place again and continue on giving her instructions of what he should do to make life easier in preparation for the next 20 minutes, and he'd insert again, of course, my brown sugar. And she'd weaken. And as we'd trot to the kitchen and get everything done, he'd hum and carry on while she was eating. My mother talked about the fact that she couldn't boil water before she married my father. But my mother was known for having a household that smelt like fine cuisine. And she'll tell you that love taught her how to cook. I also recall when my younger sister, I, I'm the oldest of six, my sister born after me without my permission. <laughs> How many of you all are the oldest? So you know what I'm saying. Without consultation, they just kept coming. <clears throat> I remember my sister was about a year and a half, and my father said to her, come on over here, brown sugar, and sweeten daddy's coffee. And she would take those waddling steps over there, aiming for that cup to stick her finger in it and swirl it around, and he drank it down like it was the sweetest thing he had ever digested. And she'd fallen down and lost her spinal cord just happy. <laughs> Again, I heard that word, brown sugar, and watched what it did. Asked myself, and then him, how come he didn't call me brown sugar? He then said, because you're daddy's apple pie. <laughs> we didn't even eat the apple pie. I didn't know what apple pie meant. My mother was such a nutritionalist that even when it wasn't a popular thing in the 60s, we had bran. <laughs> Things like that. Apple pie. And I say this to you because simultaneous to me as a youngster, two, three, four, five years old, feeling wonderful and comfortable about the Nubianness of my household, the brownness of my household, watching my father nurture my mother in terms of her hues, I thought my mother was a queen. I had no idea that outside of my house, that people who indeed were brown didn't feel as wonderful. I didn't know that outside of that house that it was a crime or a burden or a stigma to be brown. How could it? Didn't you know what I was knowing? Weren't you learning what I was learning? So it is how you present something. It's how you teach it. It's the images you give of one's self. And as you do that, you 
place it on a global scale so that they can see how it fits around the world and that you are not alone in your existence. Am I clear? Brown was great. Before entering the first grade and learning about Dick and Jane and Spot and Puff, of which I did learn about, the people that I had learned about at three, four, were those of the African diaspora, contributors to our society today, not excluding others, but with a focus on something that was exemplary of what I come from. In this book called Coloring Brown, Color Me Brown, that my mother had given me, on one side it would have etchings of these persons, and on the other side, poetic bios of what they did. And at the end, it would say, color him triumphant, color her a crusader, color him a winner, adjectives that I did not know I was not to pursue in the society as it was. So my fantasies included people like Benjamin Banneker, Ida B. Wells Barnett, Phyllis Wheatley, Frederick Douglass, who I was going to marry for sure, <laughs> until my father broke the news that he was no longer with us. <laughs> Crispus Attucks, and the list went on. I was full of representation, positive role models, so that I, when I entered the world, very shy as I am even now, I had a different kind of equipment with me. My backbone was straight, so that when somebody attempted to alter or change that, I knew it was their problem. Even at six, I knew that. I couldn't imagine why someone would try to last tag you just to hurt your feelings. I didn't understand that. I don't understand it now. And we have to watch how we do that and prepare people. When someone has been equipped to, in order to make themselves feel better, it is at the expense of hurting you. Something is wrong with that process. But if I feel wonderful, I'm going to tell you about your wonderful self because your being wonderful doesn't hinder or hinge upon my being wonderful. It doesn't take away. Am I clear? Offer a compliment. Say thank you. Malcolm Shabazz gave me my international perspective. So someone asked me earlier about the image of my father changing. Something wrong? He's the same man he was when he died. He said the same thing 27 years ago as you are reading now. Has Malcolm Shabazz changed? No, it's you that changed. It's the general public, it's the status quo. It's what permits you to incorporate him in your study without looking over your back. Ten years ago, if you wore a Malcolm X t-shirt, something might have happened to you. Somebody might have been suspect of your direction or your interest. If you walked around in public transportation with an autobiography, they'd wonder what your agenda was. Am I right? Ask yourself, who permits trend to be indeed trend? You are controlled by trend. My hair has always been braided. It just happens to be fashionable now. A few years ago, hair being braided would prohibit me a job. People talked about that. Can you at least just take it out for today? You know how long it takes to put this in here? <laughs> Someone determines our friends and our enemies. We don't know enough about ourselves in this country, the reasons we are in the situations we are in, so when someone runs foreign policy on you, you're even more lost. A couple of years ago, we were fighting a war, 
country you still don't know much about. You don't, you, only you knew was that it was either Iraq or Iran. A few years before that, you were fighting the other one, whichever one the, this one was. And you still don't know anything. One was an assistant to the United States while fighting the other one, not too long ago. The crimes of the country that we were fighting two years ago have always been in existence. Why was it permissible to utilize them as allies when it was beneficial and not now? And yet you have relatives that no longer breathe today, fighting something we still don't all have an answer for. Can you imagine if governments today were like they were, oh, centuries ago, when the heads of state would stand back to back and walk 10 paces and the first one turn around? Got the picture? You all know, have that picture up there? Yeah? Just imagine, whoever it is, you pick any two. And have them work it out, count by 10, and the first one turn around like they did in gun smoke and rawhide. One thing that we have to do in the society is say thank you. How many people here eat Chinese food? Can you say thank you in Chinese? <laughs> Japanese food? Can you say thank you? So you think they're just supposed to serve you? You are specifically choosing Japanese or Chinese for the ambiance different than being American food. You are walking into an atmosphere that is cultural, different from you. You know you're not going to get gravy, it's going to be what? Soy sauce. You know you're going to get shrimp fried rice made differently there than it would be someplace else. The least you could do is learn how to say thank you. She she. Can I hear that in chorus? Try it. Watch how a person feels when you've taken a moment, an effort, to learn something about someone else, about them. We are too rigid and we've given up ourselves and we think it, others are supposed to do the same. We throw around the word foreigner like it's a bad word when indeed you all are. Some got here differently, but we are all visitors initially trying to find a place. So we have to be much more sensitive to someone with an accent or an odd last name. And as black Americans came here and had their names robbed, when Europeans came here and went through Ellis Island, if the name was too long or too difficult, it was chopped, changed, altered. Hence, history taken away. There is something that if we learn about our struggles and don't feel like the lone victim in society and talk more to the people around us, you realize you have a much more in common. That as I share with you, it doesn't minimize my brown self to share with you. I've just learned something else or more about you. Am I clear? We can't allow somebody else to tell you who your enemy is. Because as when I was growing up and they tried to say which one was the enemy, I learned that enemies and the devil came in many hues. You have to choose a man and judge a man by his deeds. And if he's about to try to make a change, permit it. One of the things I learned about my father is we're all entitled to trial and error. Every four or five years of his own life, he was growing and moving and, tr and, and changing. He was devoted to each segment. He was honest. He was dedicated in each segment of his life. And when something enlightened him and moved him to another side, 
He took responsibility for yesterday and moving it towards tomorrow. Can I ask that you all shake each other's hands and introduce yourselves to the person to the left and the right of you? Now, I'd like to request, you can get phone numbers later, one second. I'd like to request that you, to those same persons, <laughs> to your left and your right, wish them the best in their life and ask them if they get there before you do to take you with them. I mean that. <laughs> My time is being monitored because of the structure that they have proceeding. So I will, for now, close and resume uh, shortly. I'd like to thank you all for your um, camaraderie and your contributions and hope that you continue to do it with one another and that any time one has a judgment or statement to say about somebody else, check yourself. Because what do they say? Those should not throw stones at glass houses. You know those sayings. I never knew them the sayings. But I have to take it into consideration. Do you understand karma? What goes around comes around? All right, then I don't have to say anything else. been listening to the Westminster Town Hall Forum originating from Westminster Presbyterian Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our guest today, Atala Shabazz, eldest daughter of Betty and Malcolm Shabazz, also known as Malcolm X, who has been speaking to us about Malcolm X, the man, the purpose, and the destiny. At this point, I'd like to invite those of you in our audience who must leave to do so, but I hope the rest of you will stay for our question and answer period. In a few moments, Ms. Shabazz will return to the podium, and uh, if you have a question, I invite you to write it down on the yellow card that you will find in the pew rack in front of you and to hand it to one of the ushers. Ms. Shabazz has also requested that if you would like to identify yourself, such as, after your question, Joyce Chen, student, or Anthony Smith, concerned parent, you may do that. It will help her to answer the question. Those of you in our radio audience may call the church with your question, and the number here is area code 612-332-3421. Today's questions will be sorted by Wenda Moore and Mary Beth Kohler. And now, Ms. Shabazz, would you return to the podium? And I'd like to begin... Should we wait for people to calm down? <coughs> 
give our audience a moment to get themselves together. I'd like to begin by asking you about um, an organization that you have founded with Yolanda King called Nucleus Incorporated. Yolanda King, the daughter of uh, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Could you tell us something about it and what prompted you to found this? Nucleus Incorporated means, um, Nucleus itself means the center of positive energy. And 13 years ago, Yolanda King, now my longtime partner and I, were asked to lecture to a number of high school students in the urban sections of Connecticut about social concerns such as teenage pregnancy, peer pressure, drugs, suicide, um, the importance of education. And we did not want to go to these high schools and just stand before them as lecturists, pounding on their heads. So we decided to put together a musical comedy drama called Stepping Into Tomorrow that incorporates all of those things but puts it in a life form, um, utilizing the medium of theater so that the young people that we talked to could feel the inspiration or the message we were trying to send without being hit over the head in the formal structure. Accidentally, it, this company is, is 13 years old. We did not intend on it. It was for that one-time visit. And we now average about 60 cities a year bridging gaps. And the audiences are not just students anymore. It's general um, community theater and uh, very specific, sometimes self-help self organizations or holding centers for youth and delinquents, maximum security prisons for youngsters. I don't know if any of you all know the population of young people between the ages of 11 and 17 who have committed adult crimes that are just waiting to be tried at 17 so that between 11 and 17 there's no inspirational development that goes on in their lives so that when we've shown up they wonder why are you here and that's the question you get and that despondency is something that we cannot stand for so that with a smile and some laughter as well as some camaraderie and a hug stepping into tomorrow is uh, very busy on the road thank you Ron Jay would like to know where the X in Malcolm X comes from. X is symbolic of unknown, meaning last name or heritage, specifically in this case for the African-American brought through slavery. Once Africans were brought here to this country, their last names, first names oftentimes were, often, were taken away from them, and they assumed the last name of their slave master. So that if you were on the Jones plantation, you were Joe Jones. If you were sold to McAfee, your last name changed as often as you were sold so that your wife could, or children or siblings could still be a Jones and you're a McAfee, not because the blood has changed, but your ownership changed. And X simply means that. Not to also, uh, slaves did, were not allowed to read and write, though many did. And they signed their names with an X. So it's symbolic in that state. Thank you. Another question, what do you feel are the key components to a woman's self-esteem? Who asked that question? Who did, yeah. Oh, you can tell. Somebody would like, so I know who I'm talking to? Who asked that question? Okay, so you're talking about from a counseling or inspirational perspective. You know, I don't know, being a woman, being so in a time where um, it was indeed difficult, pre 
women's movement, post-women's movement. A lot of confusion taught even or, or by the women's movement because we're trying to figure out as women indeed what our place, our rights are. And then mix signals in terms of burn the bra, but please hold the door open for me. I, I think that um, in addition to women having a sense of self-esteem, you have to also teach men. So I think segregated teaching does not assist. That it's best to have um, a co-ed counseling session so that as you are teaching a woman about herself, it doesn't help when she goes back home and has to deal with the same problem of someone that does not respect her simply because she was born female. My, I wonder what my father thought before being married and having six daughters. Life experiences and loving the people in front of you, having a sense of yourself would have you not hurt or harm another. I know that growing up athletic, um, tomboy, those are stigmas. Nowadays there are more stigmas attached to the mannerism that I even had to contend. But I chuckle because it is an assumption. Because I know better. Um, you know, I, I like that what, what was said out there, that, that other side. Um, I can't answer that question in, in any kind of way because I am a woman learning growing. I have a daughter. All I, can, all I do with her is hope that she likes herself enough so much so that she doesn't say yes to anybody who winks at her that the reason why we succumb and surrender to those kinds of acts or confrontations is because we're in such need of an embrace, such need of, of assurance and confirmation that when someone out of the blue just winks at you or pinches you, there's a part of you that accepts that over not getting any attention at all. I think the rest is that you need to put your foot down and feel that you have the right to in spite of the blow. Because I understand I've not suffered like a lot of women have who are probably in your organization. It's not just their, their being women, it's the problem, person who is, the problem of the person who's committed the crime against them that has the problem. Is that clear? Thank you. Another question. If your father were alive today, what do you imagine his public role would be? Hopefully a, he'd be a grandfather, comfortably. Um, a father and a husband that he has not gotten the chance to to have that he, our family has been robbed of, and I say that not to be selfish, but to let you know that there's a human being, there's a side, there's a heart string attached to the people that we put someplace, and we take away the blood flow and the heartbeat. And term, publicly, I couldn't begin. I would hope that if my father was fortunate enough to have lived the 27 years that he's been gone, that if his comrades of the civil rights movement indeed could have lived, that maybe we wouldn't have some of the problems that we have right now. Here's a related question from Reggie, a student. What is your outlook about black America compared to the 1960s, um, today in the 1990s? Is it better or worse? Well, when you're as old as I am and, and able to have seen both, been part of both, I don't think it's a better or worse, but a constant. And too many people have had their head in the sand over the last 30 years to think that there's something different. That when they talk about the resurgence of slavery, if you know or have been the victim of, not slavery, did I say that? Let's hope not. The resurgence of racism. That if you are old enough to have ever experienced it, you know that it really never went anywhere. That the resurgence of anything that knocks one's ethnic or religious rights 
because the 70s and the 80s allowed us to feel as if everything was all right, that's a mask. We're now catching you off guard. We can throw you a, a, um, a monkey wrench and you think it's new. Unfortunately, it's young people that think it's new. If we, people of my generation before, were responsible enough to connect the dots, to pass on information, to nurture our heart, to talk about the history, young people today won't, wouldn't be so lost and complacent or agitated or depending on what is going on in their households. I think that there's been great progress and we need to talk about what those things are more so that we are inspiring communities around this country and not continuously throwing in the knife about all of the images and pictures that we see that hurt us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Another question. As a young Peace Corps person in Ethiopia, I met your father in 1964. I became convinced he knew the soul of America but was being smeared by the FBI as an apostle of revolution. Are you pleased with his new stature among Americans? The question is from Ron Haxton. Um, certainly I'm pleased. I'm pleased that any effort or attempt to get to know someone as dearly or um, as I have to know that an, my father functioned as a result of dedication and love for the oppressed people. Understand that my father didn't get like that by, his, by himself. My grandfather, his father, was a um, public service person, motivating brown people and people of color throughout the Midwest and teaching them about their heritage prior to slavery so that we did not function um, based on the standards that slavery had passed down, inferior or superior. I am very pleased that people feel comfortable enough to ask questions or to know about Malcolm X, Malcolm Shabazz, and hope that when the trend changes, that the inspiration or the desire to know more about yourself doesn't change as well. Thank you. Here's a question from a student named Ellen A. What would you suggest we read to learn and get to know Malcolm better? I think you'd start with the autobiography. And uh, there's a book by Pathfinders, Malcolm X's Last Speeches, and suggest that you begin with those so that you get to hear Malcolm per himself and not per the telling of somebody with a notion. Thank you. <laughs> Another question. Do you think children of biracial marriages lose their culture and heritage? I think people in this country lose their culture and heritage. And I think that it is important for all of us here in America to, to develop and have a yearning, burning desire to know who and what you are, all of that. Too many of us are mixed anyway. So that to simply just be one or the other is not so. You are them both. People that I know that are mixed, biracial, uh, tell me that they've often been pulled on one side or the other. And that their parents aren't all, always helpful. They're, they they uh, pacify it. You're not this, you're not that, you're cream, mommy's chocolate, daddy's vanilla, you're... <laughs> you cannot do that. You have to tell them the, world, the, the wealth of being Irish and the wealth of being African. Hence, it means that you have to study it and learn what that is. So that when your child goes out there and a classmate picks on it for being Irish and black, they can say, yes, but I know what I stand for. 
so that we all need to be able to do that. But the more you respect yourself, you are not knocking another person for being any of those blends. My heritage is blended, could not be here and not be so. But my grandparents who have accents taught me about their whole selves. So for me, instead of feeling like a part this and a part that, I feel like 100% each, hence 400%. Thank you. Another question. Could you speak of the importance of Islam in your father's life? Islam for my father, especially when he went abroad and learned it as it was initially taught, represented brotherhood. He went abroad and saw that on a prayer rug, a person with blue eyes could lean and kneel and pray and face the east with a person with jet black skin, and that what made them different was simply their color by description, but it didn't minimize their brotherhood, and thought something in that practice, whatever was the spirituality that enabled them to be brothers and sisters and feel like family, the hospitality and the warmth that he felt when abroad was not measured to, was immeasurable to anything that he had felt here amongst a, the, the cross racing races. Thank For you. us as a family, it was a private existence. So I am not a promoter or do I stand up to battle one sect, of a religious sect or another, that I believe that if you believe in God, then we are in family with God, that if you find another way to your light or your truth, so be it, I'm glad you're going, going there, and that we cannot get into a debate about religion. Thank you. Another question. What is your feeling about all black schools? Well, it all depends on the premise and the preamble of, of who's founding and establishing that school. Sometimes you can have a whole group of people in a setting and it'd be so cult-like that you are robbing them of all the balances that they need in life. So I cannot just answer that question unless I know um, the, the concept of something, if there's a specific school that is in question. I think that it is very key for all anything, whether it's a yeshiva, whether it's an all-black school, whether it's an Islamic center, that we all need to have such a sense of who we are so that we can participate in the world. In the settings of those, I think if you do solely exclusive teaching, you are harming the student body. So that while you teach me about myself, please fill in the blanks about the people around me so that when I leave this building, I know how to function in the world. I also feel that we need to have complete learning um, in, in schools, if not existing. I don't think it's enough for a black school to be exclusive because you might be dividing a family. Again, we talk about society now is mixed so that you can have a half-brother in something and the other one is excluded. You're dividing a family. So you have to watch when you draw those lines of segregation who you're hurting, who you're knocking. In, in something being all of one, you might be leaving out one of the parents. Am I clear? We need for families to feel complete and whole and learn how to, learn how to function so that if you have a white parent that has a black, black child in a black school, that mother needs to be an integral part of the PTA association without feeling different so that when that child, your student, goes home to that household, that you are not losing something in the transition. Thank you. Adrian Wilson, a senior at Edison High School, has written, how do you feel about our hip-hop culture? 
Well, I'm much older than the hip hop culture. Um, I don't know much about it as in, in terms of music. Um, I've only been introduced to certain segments. The rhythm moves. It's like what jazz does not do for you. <laughs> um, I am inspired by the fact that there's enough unrest that makes an artist want to talk, chant, teach, um, learn, inspire, motivate, receive something back. I think, though, it is not enough to simply just do that and sell a record, that you have to know what you're saying because you are inspiring another young person who's buying your rap, and sometimes you're doing it commercially. There's a thin line between the message that you send and the, um, uh, the message that you're trying to send and your commercial edge just to make it funky and right. And young people don't know how to draw the line between that. I think it's not enough just to agitate if you've not offered a remedy or, or a, a cure or um, a strategy into which to fix it. It's not enough for me to incite the crowd without offering you some aloe vera. Thanks. This person asks, what can be done to cure the hatred in L.A., and have you given a talk there? No. <coughs> I have not given a talk in Los Angeles. I was present when the riot took place, but I would not say that there's any specific cure that we can fix in L.A. that we don't need to fix elsewhere as well. I think that people need to realize that, as you saw, only one particular community going up in flames and perpetrators of uh, specific hues that I myself, while in Los Angeles, am not in South Central and that people on my side of town were also looting. Not too far from Rodeo Drive. Not too far from 90210. I'm not kidding. So that if the media had shown it as vastly as it existed, that people would have heard the human cry the human pain of a human viol violation taking place, regardless of whether or not he was a credible citizen. That wasn't the issue. So every time in Los Angeles when we hear one more thing to defame his character, what, getting caught one more time at something is not the issue. Did you see the video? Could you imagine it being your brother, your father, yourself? Who can you be when you stand up? We were hurt by that. But can you imagine what this brother's life is at this point? He has three young children. Are we making an effort to rebuild his self-esteem or those of his children? I don't know what to do in terms of Los Angeles. It's a different kind of place. Being in Los Angeles makes me a very patriotic New Yorker. Thank you. One concerned citizen has asked, can you speak more about the main focus of Malcolm X before he was murdered? I think his focus was to unite people around the world globally as he was doing abroad in his many travels to inform people of color and other lands to connect the dots between Africans on this continent, Africans in Africa, Africans in the Caribbean, Africans in Europe, Africans because we all feel very divided. We think that because somebody was raised differently that they, we do that regionally here, north side and south side, the north and the south. My father said, long as you're south of the Canadian border, you're south. So hence we united. That part of his, 
mission was not to separate or segregate in the moving forward of unity in this country, that if you had something to contribute to the philosophies and the direction that we could all move in so that we can indeed live next to each other, work together, and have the rights that we innately, uh, were innately born to have, that the dem demolition of human, the human character, women, brown children, poor people, that we all really had something in common. When somebody shows up in your neighborhood and you think that they shouldn't be there, might be because they're not allowed to be in the other neighborhood as well. Hence, you all are family for a reason. You're neighbors for a reason. And I often hear this in terms of the black and the Korean relationship, that someone is being segregational, such as the foreigner, because the store title is in the foreign name. Well, it's because they speak that language, huh? Does that ever come to your mind? They're not trying to leave you out. They're speaking in the language that they understand. Maybe you as the host should bring a cup of sugar for a change or tell them how to say and translate that. Welcome them to the neighborhood. Offer a piece of bread. That's what we need to do as a society so that when somebody throws in that wedge, you and that same person who you think is different, you are on a united front. <laughs> Thank you. A number of teachers and students have asked whether you think the, uh, the portrayal of your father in Spike Lee's movie Malcolm X is accurate. Could you comment on that? Well, as of now, I've not seen it. Um, the director has not permitted us to do so. Uh, you said, mm. I heard that. Um, we expect to see it in the next couple of years. I mean, did I say that? I was distracted by this man raising his hand um, in the tie, in the back. Pardon? We have another minute or two. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I expect to see the film in the next couple of weeks. So at this time, I cannot speak out against it in, in text. The concerns that we had while the film was in production have all been expressed and I just hope that it inspires you enough or that it contains in its um, structure in the three hours and ten minutes enough that enable us to learn more about Malcolm Shabazz the human being as well as the um, political figure that you got to know.